Thanks for joining us here on episode 113. Do you think life is easy or hard? How tough has your life been? Do you purposely put yourself through challenging situations to make yourself more resilient? In today's episode, we dive into the concept of human toughness brought about by exploring human potential and building mental resilience. Now, be careful. This episode might be triggering for some people as we're really pushing you out of your comfort zone and into a different paradigm of thinking about your own existence. Remember, you get more of what you focus on. We also get into the human species de-evolving IVF belief systems and talking about mental toughness, David Goggins. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to today's episode of the show. It's my mission to coach 250 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before the end of 2021. And after the clusterfuck of a year that was 2020, I'm extremely committed and really motivated to work with you to be able to make these changes and transformations. And firstly, on today's show, I just want to congratulate everyone that jumped into my program in January and committed to being a much better version of themselves, which is both super scary and very powerful to be able to make that step. And the work I do with people to help them bring out the very best in themselves is very much what today's conversation is centered around. So today's legendary podcast guest, firstly, has a great name. We've got Matt Scarfo on the podcast. I just love saying it, Matt Scarfo. It's a cool name. (laughs) He holds the standpoint that Life's greatest tragedy is unrealized potential and that there are but a few lucky souls that can rest having lived a truly fulfilling life, which begs the question, how can you live a fulfilled life? Whether physical performance, emotional, financial, familial or spiritual, we can all perform better. Only those brave enough to explore the bounds of their potential are blessed finding it's limitless. I really hope this intro is gearing you up to feel inspired and level up, you know. I'm feeling pumped. (laughs) So what does Matt Scarfo do? He is a performance and corrective exercise specialist, an endurance athlete, potentialist, and infinite thinker. Infinite thinker, I really like that. We had a good infinite thinking chat before this podcast started. Not only does he coach and consult in making humans greater than they thought they could be, but he actively pursues his own limitations using personal experience to teach, speak, and coach individuals and organizations to find their better so they can pursue their best. In a nutshell, he optimizes human performance. What's up, Matt Scarfo? Welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you here, man. Now, I'm really interested to learn about human performance. What does that mean to you and how do you apply it? It's a great question. So the best way I think that I can describe truly what human performance is, is it's, it's, it's the measure of the human machine's ability to perform efficiently and functionally under specific circumstances. So how well it's able to perform given the limitations that it imposes on itself, whether it be flexibility pain, metabolic efficiencies, and so on. Um, It it conditions itself as it adapts to the stresses in the environment. And 
it'll always have a bias towards economy. So whether it's to avoid injury or to improve efficiency, economy of function will always prevail. So the more economical a certain level of function, the greater performance that we generally ascribe to it. Yeah, right. And so why do you do what you do? Like what was the, the catalyst that got you interested in this type of field and helping people be better than they could be? I think it was it was a natural progression for me. Um, I've always been a performer or at least always prided myself being a performer. So whether it was working out, I always wanted to add a couple extra pounds, much like a lot of people, add a couple extra pounds or a few extra reps. And as I got older, these became endurance type activities. So what I like to do, one of my favorite things to do is walking lunges, for example. And um, I'll do a kilometer or two of walking lunges. And for anybody that's wow. wondering, yeah, it's about a thousand and four lunges in a kilometer, at least with my stride length. Uh, so it just, after realizing that if I can run two miles, that I can in fact run 20 miles, if I just set the right pace and I keep the right mindset, that our potential really is limitless. And I've tested that myself a number of different times. And every single time I do it, I realize that no matter how hard, no matter how high I set that bar, that I've always set it too low. And I wanted to begin to promote that to my clients and to everybody else that I meet. And it's, it's just, it's really taken off. So when somebody asks me, you know, what kind of training do I have to do to run a marathon? If you're already a runner and you're already doing a few miles, you, you can arguably do your 26.2 miles. It's just a matter of where are you setting the finish line in your head? I mean, if you set it at 10 miles, that last mile is always going to be a bitch. It's always going to be hard. If you set it at 15, 14 miles is always, you know, that's where it's going to start to get more and more difficult. So I teach and I coach my clients to set that bar farther than they anticipate it needing to be. And um, oftentimes they end up surprising themselves with, with what they're really capable of doing. What you're reminding me of as you talk about, you know, that benchmark that you set in your mind is Parkinson's law. Have you heard of Parkinson's law? Um, I don't, I don't believe that I have. So Parkinson's law is about, um, it's like product, it's a productivity thing. And so it's essentially that the amount of time that you set for a project is the amount of time that that project will take. So if you, if you've got, if you've got an hour to achieve something, you're like shit and you go super hard and you nail it. But if you know you've got, two weeks, you'll stretch that task out across that time. And it's, it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about, um, which is, you know, where you set the deadline in your head, no matter if that's two kilometers or 20, the last little bit is always going to be painful. So you've got to, you've got to condition your mind like Parkinson's law to give yourself a, a sort of a, a bigger task so that you, you, your normal or your acceptance of the situation is that, okay, I've got to run 20 Ks or I've got to run 40 Ks rather than, oh, two Ks is such a drag. <laughs> you know what? I think it's so crazy that you say that because probably over the last two years, I've, I've become familiar with Parkinson's law, but apparently I just didn't know that. Parkinson beat me to it. Um, <laughs> it's, you're exactly right. And, and I've realized that the analogy that I like to use and, you know, forgive me for it is that you know, if you, if you work two hours from home and you leave work and you need to use the bathroom, you're going to make it all the way home, almost all the way home until you get to your neighborhood. And that's when you're really going to have to use the bathroom. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're two hours from home or 10 minutes from home. The second you pull into your neighborhood, you're not going to be able to hold it in anymore. And I think that that's probably Parkinson's law in effect as the brain 
feels like it's getting closer and closer to the the finality of a particular event, whether it be exercise or a task that we ascribe ourselves to do. And the closer we get to it, it's almost as though there's a bow shock, an invisible bow shock or, or resistance that keeps us from being able to achieve that goal or at least makes the last leg of it more difficult. So I, I, it, it, that's crazy that you mentioned that. I'm, I'm glad that there's a, a term to it. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I, I wish it was called Scarfo's Law, but uh, we'll, give it, we'll give it to Parkinson. <laughs> I um I have a rule that I I, qu- I reference somebody three times and after that it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I've used his name twice so far, right? I got one more. I have to use it with my wife. <laughs> totally. And this this is kind of like our conversation before. So we were talking about um we were talking about you know diagnoses in a in a Western medical setting and and the fact that you know when you're given a diagnosis or a death date or to live two or three months, the psychology is kind of the same, right? You set yourself up to finish at a particular time, and and I've, and I want that to lead into a question that I'm really curious of your opinion about, which is. What, do you think we've lost sight of what's really possible with the human body? And and I, you know, in the Western world, America, uh, where you are here in Australia, uh, the privileged world, let's say, you know, we've got this absolute epidemic pandemic of mental health problems, right? And often we find, and there's a lot of books on it, that the, the solution isn't because there's a chemical imbalance. It's usually because there hasn't been enough challenges and the perspective of those challenges hasn't created uh, the right set of uh, situations to create sufficient gratitude for existing and being in life and opportunity. So do you think in our privileged world, we've lost sight of you know pushing the human body and, and achieving what's possible from human potential? Because it feels like we're sort of over the mountain and we're sort of doing less and less and less and outsourcing more and more and more. I don't think there's any question that we've lost sight of, of our potential. I, I refer to our bodies as a machine because in, in essence, that's what it is. It's a biological machine. And if we were to consider the environmental stresses that are inherent in our lives now compared to what they were, you know, 100, 500, 3,000, even 30 years ago, we see that there's just been this parabolic trajectory of, of stress reduction. I mean, there's, there's, an in, there's industries built around it, um, whether it's physical stress or emotional stress, physiological stress, psychological stress. We, we, we want to make our lives easier. And when you eliminate stress, you eliminate a need for, for adaptation. So we don't have, you know, we're losing hair on our bodies as time goes on because we can sew clothes. We don't need we don't need that hair to keep us warm anymore. Uh, we've got air conditioning and, and climate controlled studios and cars and stores that we, we make things easy for ourselves. And when we eliminate that stress, we eliminate our need to, to progress and to adapt. And so we simulate stressful environments. When we go to the gym, we simulate, you know, having to pick something up and down a number of times as though, you know, this was us in the wild having to do it. And since that's absent in our lives, we, we, we need to do those things in order to increase our, our cardio, to increase our strength, to increase our, our muscle mass. And we, we naturally look for comfort. So, you know, Vim Hof does a really good job of, of telling mm-hmm. us to get out of our comfort zone and, you know, we do have the capability of withstanding many different averse environments that for us would seem like 
it would be crazy to subject ourselves to. But it wasn't that long ago that this was our daily life. I mean, I'll use the example of American Indians in in American history. Uh, you know, these, they didn't have down jackets. They didn't have pillows made of you know of of feathers. They didn't have mattresses. <laughs> they didn't have those things, and they lived strong, healthy, vibrant, and vital lives. So the more that we pad ourselves and the more that we, we try to make ourselves almost unreasonably comfortable, the farther and farther we get away from what, what our impression of what's possible is. So we do it for the sake of comfort. And in spite of that comfort, we, we limit the likelihood that our existence is going to be one of resilience and vitality. We're getting softer. There's no question about that. We're turning into a bunch of a bunch of wimps, you know, where we're sh we shiver when it's 62 degrees in the house. We we complain and we hem and we haw when we bang our knee and we have to limp a little bit. But, you know, a thousand years ago when we're getting chased by a, a tiger in the middle of a savanna, you know, banging your knee didn't didn't ruin your day. As a matter of fact, it came and it went and it, it was inconsequential. Now we harp on it and that banged knee we we make it a bigger problem than it needs to be. So absolutely, I definitely think that we've lost sight of what we're really capable of and, and what our machines are capable of. Yeah, I watched a um a presentation just yesterday by uh, Jordan Peterson, mm -hmm. the famous psychologist, and he was talking about somebody asked a question referring to you know people in like the Viking era and thousands of years ago, and and sort of sort of alluded to the fact that they must be you know really simple and unintelligent. And he his response was similar to sort of what you're you're suggesting there is that those people were you know there's not much evidence to show that we're actually cognitively any different now. There's not much of an advantage. Uh, it's just a lot of time has passed where we've solved lots and lots of little problems. But he said those people were some of the toughest people, you know, to ever walk the face of the earth, and they're the reason we're here. And if they if they had the mindset that we've got today, <laughs> the human race would have died out. And I think you made a comment in there as well that really highlights. Um, maybe the current dilemma and it's their, the ability tr to traverse the gap between a situation that's just occurred that's, you know, might ruin your day and the next moment where I think, you know, living in the present moment means that you can move when that thing happens, you hit your knee, you kick your toe, whatever it is, um, you, you can move to the next moment and that, that event stayed in the past. Whereas now we have a moment and we hold on to that moment for days, weeks, years. And then it can, these days we hear a lot about trauma manifesting in the body, these old belief systems, these old things, these old resentments that we've held on to. And I think it really speaks to what you just said about, you know, being able to move past the present moment into the next moment. Absolutely. And I think that we create, well, we certainly magnify a lot of the issues that we have and we turn them into problems. And one of my favorite sayings is it's, it's not a problem if it's not a problem. And I, I tell it to my kids, I tell it to my clients, I tell it to my friends where it, it doesn't have to, not everything has to be catastrophic. And as a matter of fact, very, very few things that we experience in our daily lives are catastrophic. But when we let the psychology, the human condition really get in the way of, of our progress and whether we're looking at it for, for a reasonable excuse or we're looking at it because we want to procrastinate. We, we tend to take the little things and make them so, so much bigger. And, you know, these Vikings would probably lose a finger or a hand in battle and continue to fight because their main goal was to 
was to accomplish a certain thing and, and it was do or die for them. There's nothing that's do or die for us anymore. And unless we begin to simulate that in our, in our daily lives and we, we put ourselves in situations where our adrenaline just rushes and, and not bungee jumping, but, but at moments during physical exertion and during activity, uh, if, if we can get our bodies and our, and our physiology at least to re-recognize where it has come from or really what it was truly intended to do, then I think that we can get closer and closer to achieving a maximum performance. But I don't think that we're, we're nowhere close to where we were in, in years past. I don't think that we can even do that in a generation or two. We're so far removed from from the stresses that we would have to manage to survive, whether it was starvation, thirst, um, you know, swimming long distances or, or doing anything for a protracted period of time when our life depended on it. That's when our bodies adapted and would actually evolve. We're, we're devolving right now. We, you know, you can't, if the lights were to go out right now and the power, the electricity were to stop, I, I believe that a large portion of this planet would just cease. Well, a large portion of the industrialized countries of this world would just cease to exist. I, I walk by kids all day long that that really don't look like they would fare very well if it were a hand to hand struggle in a life or death situation. They just don't have it in them. And and I and I blame their parents and I blame their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents and so on because we've been deconditioning ourselves to manage stress, which is why kids need, you know, safe rooms with coloring books and stuffed animals to go when they feel like they're stressed. It's why the American Air Force has these stress cards where if you feel like you're getting your ass reamed just a little bit too much, you can call yourself a timeout and, you know, go and recompose yourself. That's not the way that the human machine was meant to perform. We let the psychology get in the way of of our physiology or rather we let our psychology really program the physiology when I think it used to be very much the opposite way back when, when we would let circumstances determine our thoughts and not our thoughts determine our circumstances. Those things were pretty much laid out for us already from the moment that we were born way, way back when. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. 
Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, and I think too, um, and I love that Vikings keeps coming up because I'm a big fan of the Viking era and Vikings TV show, mm. but is, is that you mentioned before, you know, they, they knew that they were risking their life and if they came out with a, a missing finger or a missing hand or a limb, they would have literally celebrated their survival and this is as a battle wound of how strong they were whereas now when when we have a negative experience it seems to be our life story it's like oh i'm the person with x illness oh i'm the person and and we tie it into our identity and it's like the the quote we talked about before energy flows where attention goes right so Mm -hmm. the more you magnify and focus on this problem the more your life will be a problem for you and you just it's just this self-perpetuating narrative that spirals down and facilitates that de-evolution. Absolutely. And because we don't put ourselves in these challenging situations that are intentionally uncomfortable, we're, we're just allowing ourselves to continue down this road of, of, of deconditioning and, and comfort. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a program written for you by a fitness professional and you're doing, you know, three sets of eight to 12. But, you know, in the wild, there was no three sets of eight to 12. It was, it was purely functional performance. It was American Indians didn't practice running a 5k three times a week. They just ran as far as they needed to run in order to accomplish what it was that they were doing. And, and, and their performance just improved because of that. They were adapting, they were evolving and anymore we're looking for ways to make things easier so much so that in 50 years, we're probably going to plug ourselves into the wall, communicate without moving our mouths and eat by a tube that's coming out of, you know, some Jetsons kind of contraption that just gives us, you know, Soylent Green or something like that, where it's just the vitamins, the nutrients and the minerals. There's no chewing. There's no, <laughs> yeah. there's no nothing. We're going to make it so easy for ourselves and we're going to celebrate the people that invent those things when we really should be celebrating strength and 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 pain and adversity i feel like i feel like toxic masculinity is is a very important piece of our evolution and every generation when we dilute that out more and more we end up doing a disservice to to the future generations i mean you had mentioned you, you do a lot of with epigenetics and things like that well, i mean we're programming our dna by virtue of the things that we eat and the activities that we perform on a daily basis so that our future generations are, are even more ill-equipped to manage things that will inevitably happen. The, the power is not going to stay on forever. The air conditioning is not going to work forever. We're not going to be able to slather our bodies in in sunblock forever. We, we're taking away all of the things that nature is, is intentionally designed for us to make us stronger and harder and more able to deal with disease and injury and things like that. And when we begin to appeal to other people, when we use some of our pain as, as to, to color in the lines of our identity, we're appealing to them and their, their transgressions when it comes to human performance and their inability to manage these things. And of course, everybody's going to agree. Nobody's going to say, yeah, that's because you're a pussy, man. You need to, you need to get your shit together and, and act a little bit tougher. Nobody's going to say that. Everybody says, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can I get you an ice pack? Yeah. These are things that didn't exist way back when. And I think that we are getting softer as a, as a, as a, as a race, as a, as a species. We're just, (laughs) we're, we're setting ourselves up for a very traumatic, ending one day and um 
yeah, I think that it's important that we, we put ourselves in, in challenging situations and force ourselves to realize the side of us that's in there. And um, little by little, it's just getting marginalized. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the DNA thing. Um, it's, I've got a bit of an unpopular opinion. The evolutionary biologist in me um, sort of, I have a feeling about, um, you know, like couples that can't have babies that, that then go and get IVF. Like they're, you know, um, they're not, they're not evolutionarily, evolutionarily, they're not in a situation to produce offspring for a reason. And that's because the, the genes of those two individuals that have come together and, and, it doesn't work. It do, it's not meant to work. And we're in a situation where Western medicine um, allows fat, sick, and nearly dead people to procreate. And those genes that come out in those children, they're highly likely to have autoimmune diseases. They're high, highly likely to, you know, a lot of people say, oh, diabetes is in my family or cancer's in my family. No, and it's not just the genetics, but it's the behaviors that created that outcome in the the individual or the parent first that they then pass on to their child about how to operate in the world and then that just you know we're introducing children to parents which have the system wrong and they're trying to hijack it and they do that's the whole concept of IVF and and these unnatural fertility practices which allow the perpetuation of these weak attitudes these weak genes that would never survive in nature I couldn't agree more and I think that there's a there, there's certainly an argument that, you know, those particular genes, that bloodline was, was not designed to carry on for one reason or another. Um, you know, whether or not I agree with that. And if I was the grand creator, if I would have, you know, maybe I would have done it differently, but that's exactly what we're doing is, is we're, we're hijacking it. So where there was supposed to be a break in this line of code, we, we supplant it with, you know, something that is just sufficient to get us to the next line. And then that next line of code will actually run and what's going to happen to their children and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm not saying that in a selfish way. I certainly don't mean any offense by it at all, but you have to take into consideration the fact that when a lot of these kids are born with, um, you know, with issues uh, because we've taken six embryos and, and implanted them in a uterus and None of them were really supposed to work, but two of them are, are sufficiently viable. What ends up happening is you're, you're continuing a, a code that, that wasn't meant to carry on. And eventually something is going to happen. You're going to get the, you know, the Microsoft blue screen to death and, and, you're, and you can't reboot it at that point. Um, and, and it will end. I mean, nature always wins out at the end. You can build cities on shores, but when the sea level rises, there's nothing you can do. You can, you can allow, genetic information to continue down the line when it wasn't supposed to but at some point in time nature is going to catch up and um you know and, and use the nuclear option and uh you know it's it's fine to kick that can down the road but it's inevitable absolutely so let's say we've got listeners that are totally connected with what we're what we're saying here and they're like i know i need to step up i want to start introducing some adversity into my life that i can manage how does somebody start beginning to change their mindset from a typical Western mindset to start, you know, getting and developing this performance-based mindset that we're kind of talking about? I think that the one thing that everybody should do, even high performers, is remind themselves that they can always do better, infinitely better. Uh, if you can do, if you can run five miles, you can run fifty. No shit, it is true. It is absolutely true. If you can type. 60 words a minute, you can type 100 words a minute. All of these things are available to us. And simply because they're just not probable, 
with the current mindset that you know, an individual might hold, they are certainly possible. And I think that simply because it's possible, people should try it. You know, I ran 411 kilometers in nine days, which was a hell of an achievement for me. I, before that, I had never run even close to that far. That's a marathon a day for nine days straight. I'd never ran a marathon in my life. If you That's were to David add, Goggins stuff right there. Right, it is. And, you know, I, I want to work out with that guy one day. So I hope he hears this because I want to challenge Yeah, him. absolutely. I know that sounds, I know that sounds crazy, but, um, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's possible. So I, I think that if we could just remind ourselves that we are holding back. And whether it's out of fear or whether it is just out of just sheer ignorance, every single one of us can do infinitely better than what we're representing we can do right now. And if you know that and you don't want to act on it, that's fine. But for the people out there that are interested in doing better, it's quite often that they're just driving around with the e-brake on. For example, People that can't go running unless they drink a Red Bull beforehand or they've got a little bit of a pain in their foot when they begin running. So they're only going to do two miles today instead of four. These are all things that we we're putting ourselves in these shackles. We're putting our these limitations on ourselves. You can run 30 miles without eating beforehand. The body is designed to do that and, and, and far greater than that. We can do so many different things, but when we lock ourselves into a into a specific prescription, then much like Parkinson's law, you are going to barely be able to do what you prescribe yourself to do. And you will reach that bow shock intensity just short of what your goal is. And, and we like to think that that's the wall that people talk about when they're, you know, crushing through their, their limitations, but that's not a wall. That's just simply, it, it's a mirage. That's something that we've put there to make it seem like it's it's as hard as we hoped it would be, or at least harder than it appears. And those are the things that I think keep people back are the, you know, these are, I can't run without these shoes. I get a pain in my foot or, you know, I've got this little issue that's going on and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a breather for a second. If the, if a bear was chasing you, none of that shit would matter. So, you know, <laughs> just remind, remind yourself that you could always do better. You could always do way better. And, I challenge anybody out there, anybody out there to prove me that I'm wrong. Yeah, I love that. Do you have a couple of things in your daily routine that sort of introduce these kind of stresses to your body that uh, condition you every single day that you can share? You know, I, I do. Um, I don't know if they're, they're sufficient in making me seem like I'm a, I'm a superhuman, but, um, but, I, <laughs> but I certainly do. I, I make sure that I step outside of my comfort zone every single day. About a month ago, I started taking cold showers. Um, I know a lot of people start with warm and then they, they make it a little bit colder and a little bit colder, but I went into it with the mentality that cold water is not going to kill me and I can step out whenever I need to. So I just started taking cold showers. I haven't taken a, a hot shower in probably four and a half, five weeks. And I've complement that now with I do two or three ice baths a week. Um, I'm still a little soft. I have to do them usually after a pretty hard workout. So I'm, I'm pretty heated. But uh, I've gotten my time up to about two minutes and 40 seconds, two minutes and 43 seconds, which is uh, impressive for me. It sucks. Yep. And that's really the only thing that matters is that it sucks and it's uncomfortable and I would rather be doing something else. So I know that I know that my body's adapting to that and I know that my my mind is adapting to that, too. Um, on a regular basis, 
I'd, I'd say that's probably the most frequent and most regular thing that I do. But in terms of my workouts, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Um, I'll get ready to go for a run and I've got a, a 40 pound weighted vest on my back and an elevation mask. And she's like, what, what the hell are you think you're doing? I'm like, I'm going to go put in 15 miles and, and I'll do it. Um, I, I mentioned the lunges before. Uh, I love my tire flips so far. My record is about two miles of tire flips. It's a thousand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A thousand and nine flips of this particular tire gets me a mile. So it's about a four and a half, five hour commitment to do those things. But, um, but yeah, I, I make sure that, that my life sucks for at least a little while each day that it's self-imposed, that I do have a door out and that I don't take it. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. We've meant, I mean, the names we've mentioned on this podcast, Jordan Peterson, David Goggins, like there's, there's some monsters, Wim Hof there, you know, and, Obviously, you're in the same category as, as those cats, which is oh, super, super impressive. Oh, I don't know impressive. about that. I appreciate nah, you, that. For sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to piss. I don't want to piss David Goggins off. Um, <laughs> but, Nobody uh, wants to piss David Goggins off. <laughs> with all due respect to that man, he is certainly uh, he's certainly he's a, a monster. Specimen. He really is. Um, I appreciate. <laughs> I certainly appreciate the, the correlation, but um, you know, I, I certainly still look up to those men, and um, you know, I, I I'd love an opportunity one day to just. Just see, you know, just see how, how close I am to him. I might be, I might be close. I might be miles away, but, uh, it would certainly be an honor to, to test it. Totally. Where can everyone find you online, man? Uh, if you go to mattscarfo.com, M-A-T-T, Scarfo, S-C-A-R-F-O.com, I've just started a blog. I anticipate starting a podcast in the next couple of weeks. You could also find me on LinkedIn, Matt Scarfo, and, um, Instagram, YouTube, I'm, I'm there too. So a simple internet search, Google search of Matt Scarfo, New Jersey, uh, you'll, you'll find everything about me. Awesome. And to wrap up, what is one piece of health information based on what we've talked about today that you wish more people knew about or that you want people to leave this podcast with? Man, just one piece. Yeah, it's hard. It's always tricky. One, the best advice I could give anybody, and I, and I hope that some people know this already, is that the mouth is not designed for breathing. The mouth is designed for eating. It is the nose that's designed for breathing. And if you're breathing through anything but your nose, that you're breathing wrong and you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, the nitric oxide that's produced from breathing through the nose is a lot, is a, is a far better form of oxygen for your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, I appreciate your time jumping on the show. I hope to do another one with you again as well. Thank you. It would be a pleasure. Um, I certainly had a great time. Thank you for your time and attention. Thanks, man. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. presented that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional